great to be with you this morning. Uh, my name is Matt, for those of you who I haven't met. And we are continuing in the series that we started last week called Apostolic Foundations, which is all about the foundation that Paul and the other original apostles would lay in the church that then was to be built upon. Everything was to be built upon a basic foundation, and we're exploring uh, what that basic foundation was and is for us, because that same foundation needs to be relayed sort of in every church, uh, in every generation, in the life of every follower of Jesus. We go back and we lay the same foundation uh, that was laid in the beginning. So we're sort of exploring aspects of that basic foundation, including uh, over these first few weeks, our identity in Christ, what that looks like and what that means. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 5 verse 12, and we will pick up there in a bit. Uh, last week, we started off talking about our identity in Christ, and I made the point last week that every human being on the planet has to answer a few fundamental questions about themselves and the reality they live in. And I frame those questions as uh, a threefold, three, threefold question. Uh, whose stage am I on? What story am I in? And who am I within that story? What role do I have to play within the grand story that's unfolding around me? And if you can answer those questions accurately and biblically, then you'll know how to navigate life. Uh, if you know who you are, then you'll know what to do. You'll know what to do between now and Jesus' return. Uh, you can navigate life wisely. If you don't know and you can't answer those questions, then typically we, we flounder in life. We get lost. We don't quite know who we are, so we don't really know what we're supposed to do. So we've been focusing on, in the beginning, this first part of the foundation is identity in Christ. And we've made the point that your identity in Christ is actually central to your life central to discipleship, central to life with God, all of it is going to be based around your identity in Christ. But as a result of its importance, your identity in Christ actually becomes contested space. Your identity in Christ becomes an arena for spiritual warfare because of its centrality, because of how vital and important it is. So the scriptures tell us that we have a very real enemy who comes to accuse day and night, who comes to steal and kill and destroy. And one of his schemes, in fact, uh, one of his primary methods at opposing and undoing followers of Jesus is to come after your identity. He comes at you with lies about who you are. You are a failure. That's your primary identity. You are a fraud. You are a miserable sinner. That's all you are. That's all you're going to do. You might as well act in line with your identity. Uh, you are un inadequate. You're unlovable. Uh, you are ugly, stained, spoiled, unworthy in God's eyes. That is who you are. Our enemy comes at us in an attempt to um, blur our identity to undermine how we see ourselves in Christ. And so to stand on our identity in Christ isn't simply, oh, this will be like an encouragement to me throughout my day. It's actually an act of spiritual warfare to stand firm on your identity in Christ and resist that enemy. So as we try to establish, hey, this is who I am in Christ, we recognize from the outset that that comes with a certain amount of resistance and a certain amount of pushback from the darkness. And in the same breath, we can say that those who persist in establishing their identity in Christ, who stand firm on that biblical identity, will experience a tremendous amount of victory and freedom if you're willing to persist in that and really be established in it. Last Sunday... We talked about identity in Christ from sort of an introductory level, almost a 10,000-foot view. If you think of your identity in Christ as a multifaceted diamond that has all these different aspects and pieces to it, we just tried to introduce that 
and, and take a big, uh, big picture view of that diamond. Just get a snapshot from different angles of what is true of you in Christ. But this week and next week, we're going to sort of zoom in and slow down and dig into two specific aspects of that multifaceted diamond, two different pieces of who you are in Christ. And uh, of all the different ways that Paul talks about us as followers of Jesus, of all the different uh, aspects of that diamond, perhaps the one Paul talks about most and perhaps his favorite aspect of who we are is uh, simply those who are, quote, in Christ. This is how he describes you and me. It's actually a part of our identity, those who are in Christ. And there are many examples of Paul using this. Here are just a few uh, from the introduction in his letters. It says, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ. To all God's holy people in Christ, Jesus at Philippi. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Over and over again, Paul describes you and I as people who are marked by being in Christ. In fact, over 160 times in his letters, Paul uses that phrase to describe who we are. In Christ, to those who are, quote, in the Lord. And not only is this uh, perhaps Paul's favorite way of describing us, but the reality of being in Christ as part of our identity actually gives rise to many other aspects of our identity. So we could say, hey, I'm righteous in God's eyes. Why am I righteous in God's eyes? Because I'm in Christ. I am a new creation in the inbreaking kingdom of God. Why am I a new creation? Well, because I'm in Christ. So this is sort of foundational even to the other aspects of who we are in Him. So this morning, we want to ask the question, what did Paul mean when he said that? What does it actually mean to be in Christ? And what's the alternative to being in Christ? Uh, and what does that look like? How should we conceptualize what it means when Paul says you are in the Lord or you're in Christ? Well, one of the passages in which Paul elaborates on this idea is in Romans chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, we are going to pick up here in Romans 5 verse 12. This is what he says. And everything Paul is saying, it continues to build on each other and, and build on itself all through Romans. So he's constantly saying, therefore, and therefore. So we're starting with a therefore, but no matter where you start in Romans, he's, he's saying, therefore, based on everything I've already said, now there's more things that are true. So this is what he says. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, who was that? Adam. And death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all sin. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of the one man, that's Adam, how much more did God's grace in the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment that followed one sin brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. We'll stop there for now. Uh, and before we go any further, I'll ask that you join me in prayer. Jesus, we um, come from all of our uh, different frantic, crazy lives that we lead to come as Mary did, and to sit at your feet, Lord, to say, oh, I know there's all this other stuff that I could be doing, uh, or perhaps feel I should be doing, uh, but we want to be among those who pause week in and week out, and come and sit at your feet, and choose the better thing. 
choose the one thing that really matters, which is rooting ourselves in you uh, and understanding the story that we're living, understanding who you are. So would we, would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you dwell among us? Would you uh, just begin to touch the things that are wounded and painful and broken? Would you lift the fog of confusion that maybe some of us carry in our minds in terms of who we are? Would you give us a moment of clarity, Lord, in the presence and power of the Spirit to see you, to see your love, to, to know in the face of the enemy's lies who we really are? Would you come now, Lord? Would you work among us? That's why we're gathered here, that you might do those things as we open up the Scriptures together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the passage that we just read, Paul is comparing and contrasting two people. He's comparing uh, the first man, Adam, with uh, the God-man, Jesus. And what he is doing in these passages, in this passage and in others like it in the New Testament, is he's essentially establishing the idea that Adam is a type of Christ. Or said a different way, that, that Jesus is like a new Adam. That there's something about the two of them that is similar. Here's a, another example from a different passage where Paul draws comparison between the two. This is 1 Corinthians 15. He said, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, that's Jesus, a life-giving spirit. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. So what he's trying to show us is that Jesus is like a second Adam and, and that every human being is going to find themselves either in Adam or in Christ. Those are the two options that lie before us. And I, I want you to see and sort of be able to visualize what Paul is talking about. So I have, I have a couple volunteers. Where's Matthew? Matthew, come up here. Yes, you can clap for him. Matthew, you are Adam. Okay? This is the first man, Adam. And Adam sinned. That was, a, that was an appropriate response. Yeah. It was a naughty thing to do, Adam. But you sinned. And when he sinned, he affected more than just himself. It wasn't just that he sinned and all that's sad for him. No, no, no. As the first man and as humanity's representative before God, his sin then affected everyone else who came after him. Uh, in fact, the, the passage we read this morning said that because of the sin of Adam, everyone else spreading out in his wake who are in Adam, we were made sinners. Isn't that interesting? In fact, creation says, uh, creation, the Bible says that all of creation was affected by this one man's sin as the fallout, or what we call the fall in, in theological terms, all of it happened from, from Adam. So you can almost imagine Adam at the, at the top of a family tree. If you can visualize humanity spreading out into all its incredible diversity through the, the, the line of Adam, and it was as if Adam took an ink well and just poured it down the page and just polluted the entire family line, everything that came after him, everything that descended from him, everything in that wake was then covered in sin. It, it brought about condemnation and sin for everyone else who would come who was in Adam. In the passage we just read, it said it doesn't even matter if there's someone in his wake that said, well, I haven't broken a specific law. It doesn't matter. By nature, as a descendant of Adam, I am then born in Adam in sin. In fact, you can go and read uh, King David in the Old Testament. And he says, the moment that I was conceived, I was, I was sinful. I'd say, what, what, are you, what are you talking about, David? You didn't break any command. You haven't done anything. You're just... He said, no, no, no. I was born. I was conceived. I was born in Adam. And, and I was in sin. I was uh, a, a sinner. I was in him. Uh, another way... Uh, that you can think of it 
is uh, through the analogy of uh, a fruit tree. So Adam, by becoming a sinner, became an apple tree. Can you hold this? That's your apple. That's the fruit that he's producing. But this, these apples that he naturally produces, they're, they're sinful. They're, they're sin. They're, they're rotten. Okay? And then his descendants are apple trees and his descendants after him. And so I'm back down the line, but I'm also born in Adam producing apples. Okay? So I can try really hard as a descendant of Adam who's in Adam, uh, and, and I can strain and try and produce more apples, but they're still apples. There's still something rotten about them. Well, particularly these that fell off our tree. Um, but but they're, they're still sin. And so what happens among people who are in Adam, who are back here, is that we'll often look side to side and play the comparison game. Don't we love that in humanity? We just say, well, I'm producing more apples than my neighbor, so I must be a really good person. Or my apples are actually sweeter than theirs, or bigger than theirs, or whatever it might be. And we judge ourselves based off of the type or size of apples that we're producing, not recognizing that all, that, that all of it is born out of Adam, is born out of sin. Uh, it was Thomas, uh, oh, I have a slide. Thomas somebody, Brooks, Thomas Brooks, said this. Um, he said, when we're in Adam, our best deeds are but glorious sins. So we're sitting back here, oh, look at my, I'm better than you. I do this better. Oh, look what I'm producing. Uh, God in heaven is not impressed with our apples. He says, your apples are no good here. They're, it's just more sin. It's just, scripture says, I think in Isaiah, all of our best deeds attempts at self-righteousness are but filthy rags before the Lord. They hold no value. They, at the end of the age, they will not mean anything. It's, it's rubbish. It's garbage. God is not interested in apples. He said, there's, there's, there's no use to me. This does not please me. It doesn't matter how many you create or whether or not they're sweet or bigger, bitter or big or small or whatever. He just says, I'm not interested. So I can strain and strive in Adam to impress God with my self-righteousness. And he says, it's all rubbish. It, it's all filthy rags. Or said another way in Romans, those who are in the realm of the flesh, that's Adam, cannot please God. Isn't that interesting? No matter what I do over here, I, I cannot get out of Adam. All, all I can do is produce more or less apples. I cannot please God in the realm of the flesh. My best attempts do not impress him. Uh, and, and to make matters worse, Adam was our representative before God. He represented all of humanity in the Garden of Eden. And because Adam failed, we failed too. In a sense, we were even then in Adam, united with him. We shared a joint fate a joint identity. We were so bound up in him. And this is something that's, that's hard for us to grasp in the Western world because we live in, in the most hyper-individualistic culture that has probably ever existed anywhere in all of human history. It's us. So when we conceive of who I am and we conceive of what it means to be human, what we picture is all these individual little units, these free-floating atoms that just kind of find their identity from what they consume, and that, that's it. They should only be tied to their own choices and their own sin. But that's not true. That, that's sort of an illusion that's given to us through our culture. So, so it's hard for us to conceptualize that here's Adam, and, and I'm bound up in Adam. I am, I'm in him. We were in him in the garden. And if you were to go... And, and look at other cultures, particularly in Africa or in Asia or places like that, they often intuitively understand what I'm trying to explain much better than we do in the Western world. We have to work harder. But they would have understood the concept of being bound up in the head of a family, of being bound up in a tribal leader or even an ancestor, that I am in them and I cannot find my identity apart from them. What's true of them is, is true of me. And, and one possible way that might make it easier for us to grasp this is the Olympics. Okay? Think about the Olympics. 
In the Olympics, we are, there is chosen from among us a representative to go onto the world stage, and before all the nations, they represent the United States of America to the world. But when we watch them in the Olympics, we aren't there, unless we want to pay a lot of money and fly to Beijing or wherever the thing, the thing is. We, we aren't there. We're in our living room, but we're somehow bound up in them. If they win a gold medal, guess what? We won a gold medal, right? That's how we talk about it. Guess what? Today, we won three gold medals and two silvers and whatever it is. Because somehow we're bound up in them as our representative. If the starting pistol goes off and, and they burst out and break their leg right off the starting block and drop to the ground and don't even finish the race, they failed, but we failed. We did not get a medal. We failed. We lost. And, and the same thing is true of Adam. We were so bound up in him that his victory or defeat became our victory or defeat. That's what it means for him to be our representative, for us to be bound up in Adam. What's true of him becomes true of me. His choice produced an unholy people. His loss has become our loss. If you were watching the Olympics, you'd say, oh, they lost, but now we've all lost. We're all losers. Because that person who represented us lost. And, and if you hear that and you're offended by that, um, first off, you might say to yourself, well, no, 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 I don't want to be in Adam. I, I don't want to be stuck in Adam. I, I didn't ask him to represent me. I don't like the way that that works. And, and I would say, I'm sorry, it's too late. He already represented us. He already lost. What's true of him has already become true of us when we are born in Adam. And, and then some of you might say, you know, well, I think if I was there, that I would have made a better representative. That if I had been there instead of Adam and I had been first, that I would have made a better choice, that I wouldn't have plunged us into all of this chaos and darkness, that I wouldn't have made us all sinners by nature. And my response to that is, no, you wouldn't have. You would have failed too. Without Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, and without hindsight, you would have done what Adam and Eve did. So there's no sense in anyone behind Adam who's in Adam saying, this is unfair, this is unjust, I don't like the way that this works. It's, it's too late. You would have done the same thing, and it's too late. This is your lot in life. You have been born into Adam. You can only produce apples in Adam. There's no way for you to get out of Adam. You are stuck there with no hope of resurrection. The things that are true of Adam have become true of everyone who descended from him on down through the ages. And I think we have a slide for this. These are some of the things that are true of Adam that then become true of me in Adam. Adam's disobedience left us as sinners laboring under the curse of fallen creation. That's what we're born into. His sin created as its fallout and its fruit an unholy people of whom I was a member. Adam, in making that choice, I'll, I'll encourage you after the gathering, okay? Just, just keep rolling with it. You're going to be so bummed by the time we're finished. Adam, in making this choice, spiritually died. Remember the enemy? You will not surely die. God said, you're going to die. And he died. He did this, and, and spiritually he died, and physically he eventually died too. But he was a physically dead, sorry, he's a spiritually dead person who gave birth with Eve to spiritually dead people, who gave birth to spiritually dead people. I'm born back down the line in Adam, spiritually dead in Adam. This is my starting point. I'm naturally under God's wrath as an enemy. I'm essentially sold as a slave uh, in, into the world, the flesh, and the devil. I, I have to obey those impulses. I cannot overcome them on my own. I'm unrighteous no matter how hard I try. And oh, I'm really trying to be righteous here, Lord. No, I'm just producing more. I'm just, it's just filthy rags before the Lord. I'm subject to death just as he was. Death reigned over Adam and reigned over everyone like this dark cloud hanging over humanity. It rules and reigns over us. And at the end of the age, 
I have only an expectation of condemnation in Adam. I have no hope of resurrection to eternal life. So this is, this is the sad state in which we're born into. You could almost visualize a vine um, being, being cut. If you cut a, a, a branch off a vine or a vine off a branch, I always get them mixed up. If you just cut part of it off and you, and you take it away, you know that for a while it looks fine. So it actually looks, looks pretty good, but it's already started to die. It's already, it's already been cut from the source of life. He was thrown out of the garden. Oh, he, he had lost access to the tree of life, to the life of God. And now humanity in Adam is this vine that's been cut off. So you look at it and say, oh, there's still some life left, but we're living on borrowed time. We're living on borrowed life. We don't have a source of life outside of God, and we've cut ourselves off from that source. And, and so it's slowly, humanity is withering apart from God. You cannot go back in. There's flaming swords guarding the entrance. My kids like to think they're lightsabers. And I, I can't say that they weren't, so I, I don't know. But he can't get back in. He's cut off from the source of life. And, and to make matters worse, I'm now stuck in Adam. I, I have no way out. It doesn't matter how hard I try, how many good deeds I do, it's just more apples. What's true of him is still true of me at the end of the day. And this is where most of humanity finds itself right now as we sit here this morning. Most of humanity is in Adam producing apples, attempting their own self-righteousness. Over two billion Muslims 99% of whom are not militant, by the way. But we're born into a system, inherited a system, in which you're trying to balance your good deeds and your bad deeds. I think I know what pleases God. I'm going to try and do more of the good things than the bad things. And my hope, if I'm a Muslim, is that somehow at the end of my life, or at the end of the age, I'll stand before God and my good deeds will just tip the balance and, and outweigh my bad deeds, and I'll be accepted by God. That's, that's the hope. If I, if I produce enough apples, I'll be acceptable to the Lord. If you look across the Western world, there are hundreds of millions of atheists and agnostics, many of whom would say, I don't think there's a God, or I don't know if there's a God, but if there is, I will go to heaven because I've been what? A good person. We all know the line because that's what our culture believes. If I can produce enough apples, if I, my good deeds can outweigh my bad, I can, I can produce my own righteousness and be acceptable before the Lord. The same is true of, of Judaism. Paul wrote this uh, of, of the Jewish people, his brothers and sisters, who he loved so much. He said, uh, not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. This is humanity in Adam. This is the sad state that we're born into. Billions of people who, who just intuitively think, my good deeds need to outweigh my bad. I, I don't know what you mean by God's righteousness, so I will seek to establish my own. But the bad news of the gospel is that none of that stuff takes me out of Adam. And what's true of Adam, at the end of the day, remains true of me. I cannot be released from Adam based on the number of apples that I produce. And that's bad news for billions of people who are in Adam. But the gospel is also good news. Are you ready for that? Yeah, how you doing? Doing well? Okay. You can stretch your legs if you need to. Yeah. Uh, so, Nate, go ahead and jump up here. I asked these guys to volunteer. They didn't know what they were volunteering for. So, this is Nate, but from this moment forward, Nate is Jesus. Okay? Yeah. Okay? So, praise the Lord, God did not leave us stuck in Adam. Uh, reaping the fruit that actually we deserve. Instead, at great cost to himself, 
he sent a second Adam, a new Adam, who is curiously going to be a mere image and opposite of the first. That's why Paul can say there was a first at the first man and a second man. There's a first Adam and a, and a second Adam. There's something about them that's going to be the same. Okay? And, and so, it, this one is the second Adam. We'll stick with you for a second. This is Jesus. He's the second Adam. And when he came, he had to face the same temptation that the first Adam faced. He had to go into the, into the desert and he had to stand toe-to-toe with Satan and be tempted in the same way. But where, uh, where Adam failed and, and committed one unrighteous act, plunging us all into unrighteousness, Jesus succeeded. He defeated Satan there and, and he went on to lead a, a perfect life bursting with the beauty and grace and blessing of God. And, and he died a perfect, sacrificial, atoning death, conquering all of the forces that held us in bondage when we were here in Adam. He conquered those things, and now he has become the head of a new humanity. The second Adam. Just as we were all stuck in the original humanity, and what was true of Adam became true of us, now we're going to see a mere image of that with the second Adam. And, and, and the one righteous act that he did. What was the one most righteous act of Jesus? The cross. The cross where he took our sin and died for us in our place. And if you still have your Bible, actually don't look at your Bibles. You might still have your Bibles open. I've never said that before. But in this case, I don't want you to, I want you to look up and not down at the page. These, these are the, keep your eyes up here, okay? These are, oh man. These are the next verses in your Bible, so you can look down if you want to. But I want you to see it. I want you to read the verses up here and then see it visually with these, with these men, okay? This is picking up in verse 17 where we left off. This is what it says. It says, For if, the tr- if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This is reigning in life over here. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act at the cross resulted in justification and life for all people, for anyone who's in Christ. This is now your inheritance. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made, what? Righteous. They mirror each other in the effect that they have. Okay, I need another volunteer, and this person doesn't know in advance. Maverick, can you come up here? Yes. Awesome. Okay, this is Maverick. Maverick, come over here. Maverick was born in Adam. Okay? Sad place to be born. But he's born as a descendant of Adam. He's spiritually dead. He's stuck here. It doesn't matter how hard he tries. He's only producing apples. Okay? And you might think they're great. He might not. But he's saying it's just filthy rags. He's stuck here. He has no hope of escaping from Adam by his own devices. But the second Adam comes... And he opens up the way, a new way, and becomes the head or the representative of a new humanity. So now, there's a way to move from being in Adam to this new place of being in Christ. Maverick, have you given your life to Jesus before? Yes. Okay, we can clap for that. Maverick has done that. Maverick, when you did that, you can drop those now. Your old self died. He's repented of the old, right? His old self died and he stepped over a line and became spiritually reborn. In the power of the Spirit, he moved from death into life. And as soon as he stepped over that line and was reborn in Christ, we would say Maverick is now a new creation in Christ. Okay? And as a result of that, 
His old self is dead. It's been crucified and done away with. He's a new creation in Christ. And as a result of being a new creation, he bears new fruit. Okay? Out of his new creationness comes new fruit that is beautiful and acceptable before God. Maverick, just one of your oranges produced from your new creationness in the power of the Spirit is worth more to God than all of the apples in the world in all of human history. Okay? This is what God wants. He said, if you abide in me, the closer you abide in me, the more you sit close to me, you'll bear fruit in the power of the Spirit. You won't even be gritting your teeth and straining. It's just going to happen because you're in me and I'm in you and you're reconnected to this source of life and there's new creation fruit that is acceptable before God that will be brought into the kingdom of heaven out of his new creationness. And not only that, but he stepped into a new humanity with a new representative at its head. And what's true of Jesus now becomes true of Maverick. Because Maverick is in Christ. Remember, they're mere images of one another. Okay? So Maverick is in Christ. Jesus is, is perfect and spotless and blameless. Is Raven here? Okay. No. Okay, good. That's waiting, for the, waiting for the objection. But no. Jesus is perfect and spotless and blameless. So now Maverick is full of the righteousness of Christ. He, he is perfect and spotless and blameless. If I'm God and I look at Maverick, I see my son. And when I'm looking at my son and looking at Jesus, I'm, I see Maverick. He's there in Christ. And so what's true of him becomes, it's okay, you can share your heavenly fruit. Yeah. <laughs> Rivers of living water flowing out. So, yeah. Now what's true of Jesus becomes true of Maverick. He has, has the righteousness. Jesus won the gold medal. So now we, in Christ, have won. He said, it is finished. It is accomplished. I have done it. And now all of us who are in Christ share in that same victory. Maverick, I hate to tell you this, but sometimes you're going to sin. Okay? We wish it weren't so. But even when we're in Christ... We sin. We don't have to. We're not slaves to it. But we do stumble. We do trip. We do sin. Can you fall to the ground? You can keep your fruit. Okay. Maverick has fallen. He's in sin. He's wandered. He's mixed up in the wrong stuff. He, he's doing things that are sinful. And sooner or later, before, or after, or during, he's going to figure out, okay, this is, this is sin. This grieves the Lord. But where is Maverick right now? He's in Christ. Are you still perfect? Are you still... <laughs> it's, just, it's just an example, Lord. It's not blasphemy. If he's still perfect and spotless and, and righteous and his wife's still not in the room, so she's still not objecting. So, and those same things are still true of Maverick. Even though he's tripped and fallen, he's still in Christ. He's still loved. He's still accepted. He's still righteous. Maverick, stand up. This is the, the act of repentance. So he's going to repent because we don't want to stay in sin. But even as he's repenting, he's saying, thank you, Lord, that I'm still in Christ, that I'm still righteous, that I'm still loved and accepted. When we were over here, there was nothing I could do, good or bad, to remove myself from Adam. And the scandal of the gospel is that there's now nothing Maverick can do, good or bad, to remove himself from Christ. He's still in Christ. He's still righteous. Amazing. Jesus won the gold, so we have received the gold. The things that are true of Jesus now become true of us. We share in his death. We share in his resurrection. We share in his inheritance. Because we are in Christ. When God looks at humanity, he only sees two people. That arm must be getting tired. He only sees two people when he looks. He sees Adam and the multitudes in Adam. And he sees Christ and the multitudes in Christ. And if you're in Adam, I only have 
you can throw the full list up now if you want uh, that compares them. I only have this fearful expectation of condemnation and judgment. Whether I try, whether I don't try, whether I strain, no matter what I do. If I follow behind Adam, I'm going to share in Adam's fate. And Adam and all of his followers can go and and bang their heads against uh, the, the flaming swords outside of the garden. It will never change anything. They're stuck. We are stuck here. When I move over and I'm reborn in Christ, I have a totally new reality that's available to me. Every single door and gate flings wide for Jesus. All the way right up into the throne room of God. Jesus says, you want to see the Father? Come follow me. I'll show you. You will see God. You will will meet the Father. It's wide open all the way up. So everything opens for Christ, but we're in Christ as this procession of people who have been bought out of slavery, who have been welcomed into his new humanity. And and now we get to go into that place. Paul says we get to come right into the throne room of God because of this grace on which we now stand. A, A whole new reality becomes available to us. The grace, the blessing, the favor that are lavished on the Son are now lavished on us because we are in Christ. Everything that He's done is credited, attributed to our account because we are in Christ. It says, follow after me and you'll get there. I know it's confusing. I know you have to die first, go right through death on the way. But if you follow after me, I promise you, you will get there. I, I, I am the way. Come, follow in my footsteps. So, so as we do that, as we follow after Jesus, we recognize that we're in Christ. That it's a mere image of being in Adam. That a whole new set of things are now unshakably true of us because we are in Christ. So when we sin, can you fall again? Last time, I think. Um, When we sin and when we fall, we recognize in this place that we're in Christ. So what do we do with our sin? We repent of our sin. We turn from it and, and we turn you can stand and face Jesus at the same time. We're turning from our sin. We're restored in the presence of God. But we're also, uh, Scripture says, though, though the righteous may fall down seven times, still he rises again. You are in the righteousness of Christ. So we say, thank you, Lord, that I never uh, departed from being in Christ, that I'm still loved and accepted in there. But when you're down in sin, or even after you've repented, the enemy's going to come in and come after your identity. He's going to come to Maverick and whisper those things. You don't deserve to be here. You're not righteous anymore. You're you're spoiled. You're inadequate. You're stained. You are not loved by God because of what you've done. But Maverick can stand on his identity in Christ and say, no, 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 I'm still in Christ. What's true of him is still true of me. If he listens to those voices, it's going to shape his identity. And once he thinks he knows who he is, he's going to act out of that identity. Everything that we say and think and do flows out of our identity. So the enemy is coming after his identity because if if I can warp his identity, it's going to warp his entire life. The things that he does, the things he doesn't do. And then he's going to hang his head and he's not going to look at Jesus and he's just going to, oh, I'm not worthy. I guess I am just a miserable sinner. I guess I have no choice but to just act out of the flesh. And mentally, he's, he's going and acting like something that he's not. So by, by saying, no, 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 I'm going to stand on my identity. I've never left Christ. That was a mental exercise. He's still in Christ the whole time. You just have to wake up to the reality that you're in Christ and say, thank you, Lord, that that sin was already paid for. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might become what? The righteousness of God. He became sin as our representative. We 
have his righteousness. So we stand on that, and Maverick can, can say to the enemy, not only do I repent, not only am I still righteous, but that Adam stuff doesn't make sense for me anymore. Not because I'm under some sort of strict religious law. I'm not under the law of Moses. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. That's not true of me. The reason he's repenting, the reason he's setting aside the old stuff is because it's old. Because that belongs to Adam and he can say, that's not who I am. I can come along and try and get him to buy stuff. Hey, would you like some of these filthy rags? And what's he going to say? No. That's, that's Adam's stuff. Th- that belongs over here. It wouldn't make sense for me to wear filthy rags and walk around in them. What I'm going to do is I'm going to clothe myself in Christ. Why? Because of who I am. Because I'm already in Christ. Because I'm a new creation. Of course, I want to cl- put clothes on that make sense with who I am. So in our, in our, it, as temptation comes, as the enemy at, uh, attacks our identity, as we wrestle with these things day, day in and day out, we have to remember uh, that, that we're acting out of our identity and that our identity is being in Christ. Are you with me? So when the enemy comes with that condemnation, with that accusation, we say, no, 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 I'm in Christ. It is accomplished. He has the gold. I have the gold. He has the favor. I have the favor. He has the blessing. I have the blessing. The way God loves his son is now the way that God loves Maverick. And I'm going to stand in that love. That sin, I I stumbled, I sinned, but it was already paid for. Before I even sinned, before I knew it was coming, it had already been paid for. Nailed to the cross so that I could become the righteousness of God. And that stuff no longer makes sense because as a mark of who I am, I am in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we recognize, Lord, that we live in a war-torn reality. Uh, that is playing out all around us, that is playing out within us, and that in order to be victorious, in order to experience what you died to experience, we have to see you, and we have to then know who we are in you. So I pray that you would come now, Lord, as we lift up your name, as we worship you, as we take communion together, And we remember your body broken and your blood shed and what that accomplished for us and and who we were made to be through cross and resurrection. As we do those things, Lord, I I pray that um, old patterns of sin that feel so deeply ingrained would begin to just lose some of their power and loosen their grip on us. That as we stand and we praise you and we remember who we are in the presence of the Lord, That God, some of the lies about who we are, about our failures, about our flaws, about our insecurities, oh Lord, would you speak into those things? I pray that the the enemy would would flee, that uh, his lies would begin to wither and fall away, that we would know the truth, Lord. You said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we say, come Holy Spirit, show us, remind us, whisper to us about the truth, and overthrow the things that are not of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As part of taking communion together this morning, uh, Cassidy had a thought that she wants to share. Hello, everyone. Um, So I really love the visual that Matt was talking about, and I wanted to walk you through something that, like, I hope will be impactful. Glory to God. But um, so as Maverick was playing, like, we sin and we fall, right? And I was just thinking about how we can mentally not hear the Lord like we know the truth we know like what to combat the lies right but like 
um, it's hard to believe that. And I think it's easy to just like repent or say, oh yeah, I'm sorry for this and like move on. Um, but it's something different when you look Jesus in the eyes and you say, what do you think about me? Like, what is the truth? And so I, I just want everyone to close their eyes right now. And I want um, just you to meet Jesus somewhere, somewhere restful, right? God says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. He says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Um, so find a place where you can meet with Jesus that's restful and peaceful. And, and don't overthink it. Whatever place it is, maybe it's by a river, maybe it's a basketball court, maybe it's wherever it is. Once you've found that place, I want you to draw near to Jesus. Go to him. And I want you to take his hand. Maybe there's something you've been holding on to that you need to surrender. Maybe there's something you want to repent of, um, some guilt you've been feeling. to take his hand and look him in the eyes and I want you to ask him what do you think about me and what does he have to say to you about that specific thing Lord, thank you so much for your presence. Um, thank you that your presence is tangible um, and that we can be in it with you and that we can draw near to you. Thank you for that privilege and thank you for the cross that allows us to be in Christ, that allows us to um, know the truth and that the truth that set us free. Yeah, thank you that there's peace where your presence is and that there is just so much hope and that when we look you in the face, you don't say, I am not worthy, I am not enough. That when we look you in the face, you we are loved. Nothing we can do can change the fact that you love us. None of our works, none of our deeds. He loves us just for who you are, just for who we are. Thank you for that truth. It's in Jesus' name, amen.